0: We're here today at St George's Park. We're with Alan Ferguson, who's Head of Grounds and Estates here. Alan, thanks for your time. You're We're welcome. sure it's very busy here today. I think yeah. you're in the middle of a, a tournament.
1: Yeah, we are with World Championships. It's a counter for the Rio Olympics, so fairly, fairly major event in the world of disabled football, and it is the largest disabled football tournament ever to be held in England. So it, uh,
0: it, it's, it's a biggie. Well, let's talk about... You know, mm. some of the facilities yeah. you've got here. I think the total um, facility is about 330 acres. That's correct, yeah. And that's made up of, I think, 12 full-size well, practice we, pitches. We
1: are, we are now, as we talk now, we are 14 right, diff- okay. different pitches. And Tuesday of next week, we'll see us start construction on the 15th pitch wow, on the park. Okay. So so we haven't stood still. Uh, and that demand has been driven by the the, the new coach education programme and, and just a, a need for more playable hours. So upgrading existing pitches and adding to the existing group of pitches.
0: So within that mix of pitches, Mm. um, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, one, you've got an exact replica of Wembley. We have, yeah. And also you've got replicas of the types of surfaces that England teams may play on around the world. part
1: of the park's philosophy through our pitch working group, which comprises my managing director, finance manager, uh, we've got a project manager, commercial manager who's sat at the next table down (laughs) there. Uh, and the head of uh, Grassroots Football, and myself. Part of that philosophy is to try and unearth all the the latest developments in in pitch technology and pitch development, and incorporate them onto the park. Now, we've done that, Uh, we're constantly doing that. Uh, To give you an example, the new Cisgrass alternative to Desso Grassmaster, I I watched that for two years in its development, (coughs) and five weeks ago, we became the first Cisgrass pitch user in the world, which we'll be quite happy to show you later on. Uh, uh, That's the sort of thing we do. The synthetic pitch that starts next week will be from field turf. Uh, That will give us one of three different types. So we've got SIS grass, DESO, and now field turf on the park as well. Because in the professional game, uh, all teams at all levels, and the ladies would be a fantastic example, because here they are now in Canada, playing in the FIFA World Cup on synthetic turf. So our our, our aim is to try and give all the players, male and female, wherever they're going to play, a chance to prepare as thoroughly as they can on as nearly identical surface.
0: Alan, um, as well as the pitches here, yeah, synthetic and and natural and and hybrid, you have other responsibilities for the estate as well. Yeah, um, and I believe there's quite a a focus on biodiversity and the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. When I came to St George's Park, it was as head groundsman back in uh, 2011 when I came up from Ipswich and my role then was just to, d- to bring the pitches back to life. Uh, for those not familiar with the history of St George's Park, they tried to construct the park back in the early 2000s yeah. but it was done at the same time they were redeveloping Wembley and, and for financial reasons which are well documented at the time, uh, this, this was put on hold. I, they took a decision around 2008 the board to, to, to go ahead again. But it wasn't until 2010 that that budgets and planning permissions were were all back in in place as they should be to allow the the ground to be broken and and start on it. The the pitches bit we did. Uh, The wider estate in the 330 acres was a constant challenge. We had a number of contractors working in different areas as the place was under general construction. But as we got towards the end of that construction it became quite obvious that it, it wasn't going to be doable to have all these contractors there. And I was asked to broaden my role, uh, to change my title from head groundsman to head of grounds in estates to try and take all that into being, which I've been quite happy to do. Quite a challenge, yeah. uh, quite an enjoyable challenge. And a big learning curve. Obviously. Oh, massive, massive learning curve. Uh, it takes me back to my golf days, when, okay. uh, when I was at St Andrews and Bathgate Golf Club, where you did have to look after areas, part of the course, but, but not part of the fairways or the tees sure. or the greens, uh, and, and regenerate areas. But, you know, we live in an age now where the environment is everything and massive green lobbies about the place and we're sitting slap bang in the middle of the National Forest, so you can start to begin to imagine some of the challenges we've had here. I've learned things that I never even knew existed. Uh, The biodiversity here is as wide ranging here as I think you'd find it anywhere, but we have to care for things from great crested newts to barn owls, badgers, you know, even foxes. Uh, You name it, we have to do it. We have to try and regenerate wild flora. You know, we have migrating birds that come across two lakes that, that are located on the park here. So so it's quite an in-depth uh, thing I do. I sit on what is called the biodiversity group. I have a guy on my staff who is an ecologist. We got him from Natural England. He came as a in as a general estate worker, but, you know, we, we brought him in because he had worked in a previous environment. And he's now almost like our in-house ecologist, working with the, the FA's uh, sort of consultant ecologists. Uh, making sure that we meet our legislative requirements across the park, wh- which we do, and we do well. Uh, That's a big challenge in itself. Huge, huge challenge, because uh, you know the, the world watches you, and because we're the FA, we're seen as a, a bit of a target. Yeah. So so we have to make sure we nail everything absolutely properly, wh- which we do. Uh, well, there are a number of people we can consult. We have a traffic light system in place now. So green is the my, where my pitches are on the park I can pretty much dictate what happens and when it happens there there's amber areas where I need to make a phone call just to, to, to check that that is okay and there's and there's red areas there's red areas where we have to go through uh, a proper process
0: uh, if, if work needs doing then, then I can do it. You mentioned the guy that you've got on the team as an ecologist. What sort of size team have you got here helping you look after the the 15 pitches now? (laughs) Yeah,
1: We're not as big as I'd like us to be. Uh, My my aim back in 2011 was for the staff and uh, the maintenance programmes to grow in line with the business. But it's been so popular, which is great. The business has shot off and we've been playing catch-up. We are catching up. And, uh, you know, I I think the, the group of 14 that I have now will be 15 by the end of August. Uh, I think we need to be in the low 20s. When I compare us to like minded facilities at Manchester City, United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, you know, you, you may be getting sort of mid-20s, high-30s yeah. uh, as staff at seasonal times of the year. But an average of 25, 26 people, we're, we're 14. Uh, and, and of that group of 14, three are estate workers and one's my coordinator. Right. So, you know, there's 10 groundsmen looking after all these pitches.
0: And you you have probably more pitches than most of the... The clubs you mentioned. I think
1: it? I think we probably have a similar amount of pitches. Right. Uh, w- right. where we differ is we have a lot of off-pitch area yeah. in the wider estate. So if I give you Tottenham's new Enfield facility, which is fantastic. It is, yeah. Fabulous facility. And Darren and his team down there have done a, a fantastic job bringing that to life and, and, and making it what it is. Uh, but it's only about eighty acres. You yeah. know, I've got the same eighty acres worth of pitches, but I've got the rest of the estate in the three hundred and thirty acre footprint. You know, so, and, and, and all requiring some sort of maintenance and we're still developing as we go forward. There are a number of other bits of infrastructure that have been added to... to and that, that'll go on probably through to the end of the seventeen eighteen season before we get to the end of what we've called the, the first phase of development.
0: You mentioned Darren Baldwin at Tottenham. Yeah. Um, do you have much interaction with, with other elite groundsmen?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I, th- I think we always have done but you know, I think Darren would be the first to admit along with maybe Steve Braddock at Coney Uh, Roy Rigby up at Man City, Tony at Man United, Uh, I think these guys would all be the first to admit that the size and scale of the operations they look after now were way beyond what they ever imagined they could be and I'm no different to that. So you know it's fantastic to be able to lift the phone or ping off an email and and network with these guys because we've all got the same problems. You know, uh, They'll have various planning issues as I've had, Uh, we've got same maintenance issues I think we've probably got the biggest commercial operation and I know some of their clubs now are looking to cash in on some of these facilities so, so where it was a club only operation I think they're opening their doors up to more commercial activity You know, to try and generate income through the clubs as they develop stadia and, and, and add to their existing training facilities.
0: Let's talk about what's led you to this point um, and yeah. the career you've had in turf care to date.
1: Yeah.
0: You started out at St Andrews. I did, yeah. Was that an apprenticeship?
1: It was, yeah. it was an apprentice greenkeeper on the old course my father was a master craftsman, joiner, carpenter, right, and, and I had the opportunity to follow him, but I, I'm, I'm useless, and if I'm honest, I had no big interest in that. My grandfather was a gardener and looked after a, a number of country houses in and around St. Andrews, and, and one of the things that fascinated me was when he mowed the lawns, was getting the stripes in the lawns, and through that and, and through some associates of his, I got into the, to the golf greenkeeping side and loved it. I knew pretty much from the age of sort of 11, 12 years old, pretty much what I wanted to do. And, and it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I had a great time at St Andrews. My mother still lives up there and I'm hoping to go up in July and see her and see a bit of the golf at the Open as well. I did the 78 Open there, the ninety eighty Colgate PGA and loved every minute of it before moving to Bathgate Golf Club as the head greenkeeper. Right. Which is Bernard Gallagher's home club okay. outside Edinburgh. Uh, and it was while I was at Bathgate I, I started uh, getting more and more involved with a company called Sportstuff Services, it was run by a gentleman called Mike Eddington.
0: That was a contractor, was
1: it? Contractor, yeah. And they did golf and football. And there was an opportunity came up there in the, in the sort of mid-late 80s to, to join uh, Sportstuff Services as an assistant contracts manager. Uh, still working in golf but, but working more in football, and at that time football was changing. Sky Sports and satellite yeah. television was was changing how the game was perceived and viewed, and they didn't want muddy pitches, they wanted lovely green bases to, yeah. to, to go out onto, and they wanted that all year round. And the groundsmen of that time would be sort of cleaning the stands, washing the toilets, and when he had a bit of time left, he would do the pitch, and hence the reason the pitches weren't great. Uh, but that changed and I was one of a number of greenkeepers at the time that was given the opportunity to come over into football and took it through Sportstuff services first. Uh, Rangers was one of our contracts had an opportunity to go into Rangers as I was called a pitch superintendent. We still had a head groundsman there, who's still the head groundsman today. Right, okay. But for uh, a number of reasons, the project didn't move as quickly as what the club wanted it, largely financial reasons. And, and their finances have been well documented over the last two or three years. But they still had issues back then. But it allowed me to get my feet into football. Uh, Rangers was a great experience. We changed the pitch in the 91 92 season. First time I met John Mallinson. Uh, I've done three major projects with John now, including here at St George's Park, and uh, I went from Rangers down to Ipswich Town, had 16 fantastic years at Portman Road with David Sheepshanks and managers like George Burley, Joe Royal, Jim McJilton, Paul Jewell, Roy Keane, (laughs) which was an interesting experience. Uh, Great guy, you know, but uh, he gets some criticism, but, you know, a more honest man you'll never meet, like, you know. And through my time. Another it,
0: passionate guy, I think. As well. I very much
1: so. And, and through that, you know, I, I got into UEFA, uh, working part time as a, as a natural tough consultant. I've done that for 12 years, something I really hugely enjoy, trying to put something into other areas of the game uh, out with this country. And uh, met some wonderful people. So that's my career to date here. I've been at St George's now since 2011. I've got a great managing director who came from, from horse racing, so understood big spaces, big green spaces. Backed me fantastically well. Uh, I've got a pitch working group who are not from grass but enthusiastic, and I've been able to help them. They've helped me with some of their skills, and I think as a group we complement each other really, really well. Uh, I've learned things from them; they've learned things from me, and I think you know as a group we've, we're taking St George's forward as a project really well. It's one of, I think, 22 places in the world with a range of facility in one place uh, that we have here. Our challenge is to keep it world class. Sure. Uh, and that's very much our group focus, is to do that. The board back us. Uh, you'll see when you go around the facilities when you're here, uh, they, they are incredible facilities. You know, we're hosting this world championship. There are not many places in the world could host a championship like we're doing just now, uh, and that'll be more of our life. So, so that's that, that's that's my career path. Uh, we
0: can just go on. talk about um, the change from golf to yeah. football. Uh, was that a little bit of a culture shock in terms of the, the style of, well, of, of the people you were working with above?
1: Yeah, it was. I, I was a bad golfer. Still, I'm a bad golfer, <laughs> but I'm a massive football fan. I always have been. So, so, so to do this job, uh, uh, I, I, some days I can't even call it a job if I'm honest with you. Right. Okay. You know, I get up in the morning. I, I'm usually at my desk by sort of half six, seven o'clock here. I go home whenever, uh, you know, with the championship just now. That's ten o'clock. Typically in the week, it's probably eight, half past eight. If there's a game on TV in the office, I'll watch it. Uh, If there's a game I can go to, I'll go and watch it, but I'll go and speak to the grounds teams at these grounds. I'm I'm always keen to exchange ideas. Golf is different from football. Uh, The ball's a bit bigger, (laughs) uh, the the grass is a bit longer, but I think the intensity and the expectation from footballers against golfers is pretty much the same. I had had the privilege uh, earlier this year to go to Augusta for the first time. Now, as a golf greenkeeper, everybody wants to go to Augusta. I was no different to a that. a golf fan, everybody wants yeah, to go to Augusta. Yeah, absolutely. Atlanta, and and you know, while I don't play golf, I love watching professional golf. I, I do watch a lot of professional golf, yeah. particularly over the summer. And, and I'd, I'd be a big Rory McIlroy fan or a Tiger yeah. Woods fan. These are the guys I love to watch. And, you know, I got the opportunity through Bernhards to go because we've been working with them on grinding and, and improving the cut quality in football. Because that part of football pitch maintenance has lagged behind that of golf. Okay. Although I did it in golf 30-odd years ago, it's taken a long time. I hired them at, in Ipswich, but I've got my own grinders here, and, and there's a wee bit of a revolution going on, and I, I'm delighted because it will, it will increase the quality, improve the quality of, of football pitches. But through that, I got the opportunity to go to Augusta, and it was magnificent, absolutely magnificent. You could not fail to go there and not be impressed by what they're doing. My guys probably loathe Bernhards now for giving me the opportunity (laughs) because I've come back with the term, Augustified, (laughs) and we want to Augustify St George's Park. Yeah, we've got the pitches, we do a great job on the pitches, but I want to see the off-pitch areas striped up, presented, and and kept in line with biodiversity plans and that, but on an Augustified-type scale. And and we're moving towards that, and that's really given me one hell of a buzz. Uh, The place is coming. You see these nice stripes coming up the driveway, we're going to be putting in tree lines down the driveway later this year. Um, by the end of 2015, they'll be in place. And I think as we go forward through the next couple of years, you'll see very much a golf feel coming into our maintenance operation. It's probably there now, but it, it will ramp up a wee bit. And then hopefully by the end of 2018, there is there is proposals to put a golf course on here at St right. George's Park. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Planning permission was granted to Trust House 40, who owned the ground before us. Um, and we're very keen to put a nine-hole course on here. Wonderful. But as a golf academy, but something that the guests can utilize as well as an amenity when they're on site because we are a wee bit out in the middle of nowhere here and we do need something else for them to do. So that will almost be like going full circle and then, and then to have to have where I started my career and where I went with my career on the one site, I think would just be a, absolutely amazing. So you'll
0: get the opportunity to, to build the course from scratch?
1: I'll get involved in it. I've been out of golf a long time and that's clearly specialized in the design and build is what a football pitch is. But, you know, we've already had some fairly good people. Jeremy Slesser, the European golf architect, has been here. We have three layouts. Our project manager, Pete West, and the managing director, Julie Harrington, are leading that project just now. So I'm not massively involved in that at this stage. But I'm sure when it gets to the point where, you know, we're going to break ground uh, and we're we're going to put a head greenkeeper in here, I'll I'll get quite heavily involved in it. And it's something I'll, I'll, I'll love to do.
0: Maybe they'll let you put some rhododendrons in and Augustify well, it. Well, yeah, I would,
1: I, would, I would welcome that. I would really, really would welcome that. That would be fantastic.
0: Your club career. Yeah. Glasgow Rangers, yeah. then Ipswich. Yeah. Um, big characters that you work with there in terms of yeah, managers yeah, and yeah. players, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the pedigree of those, those individuals, yeah. and you know, maybe Roy Keane could be a good example, yeah, yeah, yeah. did that ever give you any issues in terms of their demands and expectations?
1: It, it gave us issues in the early days at Rangers, and as much as at the old pitch couldn't meet the expectations of what Graham Sooners and Walter Smith wanted. Yeah. Uh, and the pitch changed in the ninety-one, ninety-two season, and and, and for the better. And, and David Roxburgh, who who was the head groundsman then, who still is the head groundsman there, uh, he's done a fantastic job keeping that pitch where it is in the difficult times that the club have had since. You know, some well documented financial problems sure. over the last two or three years. But but Rangers had a debt then because the the club's aim back when I was at the club was to try and keep up with the English clubs. Hence the Terry Butchers and the Chris Woods and the Gary Stevens and the Trevor Stevens and the Mark Haighleys of this world. Why they came up here, why the two Ukrainians, uh, Mikhailachenko and Kuznetsov came over, Pete Hustra from Holland came over, Brian Loudrup from Denmark. So very much an international group of players who all wanted to play on a near perfect surface. Sure. In Scotland, the weather's not that generous <laughs> to allow you to do that and uh, David still has his challenges with that, but the, the pitch construction is, is way, way above where it ever was there now, and as I say, credit to him for managing to do that in, in what is a very difficult part of the world to, to do that. Rains every second day in Glasgow, uh, but, but they've managed it, and I think now they do, they do meet that, that level of expertise, albeit it's in the wrong division, sure. and the calibre of player isn't quite the same. Uh, when I came down south, the Ipswich always had a reputation as a decent pitch. Uh, although it's 100% natural and it's still one of the oldest pitches in, in, the, in the upper divisions. Uh, ben Connell, who succeeded me there, still has the challenge of keeping that old pitch going. It needs to be dug up. I've told the owner that. <coughs> okay. They still invite me to the, to the director's box. They won't let me buy a ticket, which is lovely. You know, Epswich is that kind of club, uh, very much a family club. Uh, and it's, e- it's East Anglia's club, it's the fans' club. And it was a huge privilege to go in there and look after that pitch. And to win awards with it was amazing. You know, on the days that we were presented on the pitch there, the ovation that myself and my staff got, it made the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Okay. So really, really good, and and g- gave us a profile, gave me the profile to build my career on the back of. So I, I owe Ipswich a lot, I really do.
0: Talk about awards there. Yeah. One of the questions I wanted mm. to ask you is, the clubs you've worked at have, have enjoyed success yes. on the pitch while yeah, you've been there. Yeah. yeah you yourself and your teams that you've worked yeah. with at those clubs have enjoyed personal success yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of awards and recognition Absolutely. In the yeah, yeah. Out of the two, which is more satisfying?
1: I think ultimately seeing the players enjoy playing on the pitch and bringing the club uh, trophies, winning, winning titles, that, that has to be what you're there. Okay. The, the fact that, that I can do the, do the bit for my profession and, and, and my personal aims and ambitions uh, is, is, is good. I think The managers and players I've worked for, uh, I've worked for some great guys, some of the top names in the game, they're all winners, they all want to be winners, they'll all talk to you about cultivating a winning mentality. I think as a professional groundsman, I'm no different to that. If there's an award for a pitch of the year, you know, or a training ground of the year, I want to win that award and I think that's what helps us to set our goals and, and, and ambitions here at the park now. You know, I want I want to be continuously challenging myself and my team. I want to raise the bar. We, we're doing things with a number of companies in the industry, uh, trialling equipment, trialling products, because we're looking for that near-perfect programme. I don't think you'll ever achieve it, sure. but, but you'll get pretty close to it. And, and that's really what we want to do. That's what drives me on. So if there's an award for me, to, to win as a groundsman of the year, great, I want to go and win that, but equally, uh, if a player wins the player of the year, or the team win the championship, that, that's fantastic, because at the end of the day, nobody's bigger than the club, the club is everything, owned by the fans, uh, probably the focal point of the area it's in, I mean, Rangers, as you know, are massive in Scotland, sure. but across the world, Ipswich were the pride of East Anglia, uh, still are, you know, despite our, our neighbours <laughs> up the road, maybe enjoying a wee bit more success than what Ipswich are, but uh, you know, it's it's great to do that and to walk around the town and people stop you and come up and talk to you and congratulate and just want to talk about the pitch or fans coming in from abroad eh, to, to watch games and want to take five minutes of your time, that, that's fabulous. You know, That's really good.
0: You mentioned working with different suppliers on, yeah. on new innovations, mm. etc. Obviously in your very high profile position yeah. here, yeah. I'm sure. Um, you work with a lot of different people. Yeah. Do you have a list of preferred suppliers, or is the, is the kind of well, broad we, spectrum open to you?
1: Well, what, what I did here, uh, my wife who's my coordinator, uh, and I, when we set up the Ipswich training ground, we worked very closely with Ansons Jacobson, primarily yeah. because they were a, they were already a club sponsor, but they're, they're on our doorstep, so it made perfect sense. Scott's fertilisers at the time were at Branford. Everest now, yeah. Yeah, Everest <laughs> now, yeah. So so Harrods and stuff. So we had three of the main shakers and movers right, okay. in, in, in the turf industry in, in East Anglia. So we lent very heavily on them. What we've done is, is we went through the Ipswich project and it expanded the training ground at Playford Road. People like Campy Turf Care came into play yeah. and one or two others. Uh, as I've come to St George's Park here, the model of key partners I had around me at Ipswich I've expanded here. So what Carol and I have done, and part of her job role, is to maintain a business relationship with them. So she's almost like the ground staff department's business manager. Got gotcha, you. Yeah. Uh, she, she sits with the commercial team here. Because we're married, then in FA life, I can't. she can't report directly to me. Sure. But next best thing is she sits with the commercial team, and the commercial manager, Holly Glover... Uh, her team and Carol link very closely to my team because these are the guys that are bringing me the business Carol can help them manage that uh, make sure I don't get completely overwhelmed that I can get time to go in and do the jobs I need to do, but also what she does is she brings in the partners the partners are developing equipment and products at the time, so we're constantly researching that, and I have a group of partners around me now now I've been criticised quite roundly uh, at some exhibitions since i come here, because I don't give enough people a chance to come here. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think there there is an open door here. If someone can demonstrate to me that what I'm currently not using and they are providing is better, we will include that in the programme, and we've done that. We've actually introduced additional partners into that scheme. So, Bernhard's would be a classic example into that. Premier pitches on the on the support side, on the renovation side, have come into that. So so we will we will bring people in. If, if they've got something that will add value and raise the bar at St George's Park, we will bring them into that group of partners. But the partners understand my philosophy, they understand the board's ambitions, the managing director's ambitions, the players' expectations, from Roy Hodgson right down through sure. all the groups, and from all the visiting clubs that come here. You, you would not believe the level of expectation people have with the Qatari national team here recently <laughs> uh, Which was difficult for a number of reasons yeah. but, but one of them was that they just want perfect pitches and rightly so you know, We've had FC Barcelona here last year, 12 months ago for a training camp They went on to do quite a fantastic treble And I was fortunate enough to be in Berlin when they lifted the Champions League as the third part of that treble But that started here at the park okay. So that level of expectation is very, very high. So the partners have to understand that.
0: Constant search for. Yeah,
1: we're never happy with our lot. Okay. We always want to move on and onwards and upwards. And if we can get that through networking, if we can get that through the partners, and the partners have extensive networks in their own uh, walks of life as well. So I've got I've got a wealth of information coming into me all the time. Takes a hell of a time to sit and and read it out, you know. And and I've also got one guy who's probably quite special to all oh, my oldest son, uh, Rory Ferguson, a deputy groundsman at Fulham. Yeah. Uh, he had an apprenticeship with myself. He's gone out on his own. And he's quite opinionated as his dad. So he's not shy at coming forward. And, you know, he's a good guy to bounce things off of. So I very often will ping an email to him and say, look, son, have a wee look at that and tell me what you think. And he'll be brutally honest, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm right, wrong, or indifferent. Like, so I've got a great group of people.
0: Alan, you, you, you talk there mm. about managing upwards and you talk yeah. about a relationship mm. with a, a board and different financial mm. pressures from mm. club management. Yeah. The other side of things that uh, must be different is you were working with one club manager at club level and he had a vision and you you worked together. But now, I don't know how many different (laughs) team managers are calling on you and how many different things they're asking you for. It's a great
1: question and one one which I probably couldn't answer off the top of my head. But yeah, you're right. At Ipswich, I had had a manager who wanted to work in a particular style, had his training schedules, his fitness coaches. I had a great relationship with them. And one of the things I... I, I encourage all young groundsmen to do is have a great relationship with, with your coach or your manager. I, I tell them you know, if they have a relationship with their girlfriend, it's, they have to have that same intensity, of relationship with their manager and coach. And, and you should always be proactive and lead that. It hasn't always been the case, but, but that's a big challenge here, because I have, to, I have to liaise with the national coaches staff, the under-21 coaches staff, and their 20s coaches staff on both sides, male and female, and then all the visiting coaches. And that's where Carol comes in, because a lot of the clubs that come here will come here and visit the facility ahead of their visit. And that's usually done by the team operations manager. Most of them have travel managers or team ops managers, as they're called now. And, and what she can get out of that first visit, I, I obviously meet them. Uh, we get a little bit of an idea as to how the coach of the day at that club operates. And and if you know if if we can enhance that by emails ahead of their visit, eh, good and well. If it's a Team Ops manager comes with a prerequisite, that's equally good. Eh, But it's then down to us to bring that to life for their visit. Barcelona for example, eh, probably the highest profile club we've had here, eh, wanted the grass cut much shorter than what we would do typically in England or do for any of the England teams by, by about 4 or 5 millimetres, right, okay. down to about 22, 21, 22 millimetres. We would normally run at about 24, 25 millimetres. But we did it. It was a nice time of the year for us, so we thought we could do that and get away with it. But I have never put as much water on a pitch in my life <laughs> as what I put on for Barcelona. They actually stopped the session, have a drinks break, tell us to irrigate the field. Now, that's what they do in Barcelona. Right, okay. That's exactly what they wanted to do here. And, and we did that, we had a fantastic eight days with them went very very well but god it was intense and Luis and Ricci wanted to play a fast high tempo passing game and if you watch Barcelona playing football they, that's what they do you know they, they fizz the ball about the field but it needs to be wet to do that and, and that their whole game plan their whole training dynamic is geared towards firm fast football but on the other hand I've had teams come here league one league two you know want it slower longer yeah. You know, I've had teams come here to prepare for cup games against big opposition where they think they might get out or outrun, and they want the pitches slower so we've had to tweak it for that. So We can do most things that we're asked to do if we get a, a reasonable heads up. Uh, it is difficult, it does vary from client to client. Uh, the times, the whole regime of the training can change. Uh, and then coming in and out from football to rugby uh, has probably been one of the biggest challenges I've done in, in, in my winter in my winter sport career. Has there ever been a
0: time, and yeah. feel free to say no, i not <laughs> answering this question, that a manager has asked you to prepare a pitch in yeah. a certain way to give them an advantage?
1: <laughs> yes, there has. <laughs> uh, you want to tell us? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and the managers, at the end of the day, they're under an enormous pressure. It's very much a results-driven business. Of course, yeah. And the managers are not stupid. They know that if, if the pitches change, grass becomes longer, drier, wetter, shorter, that that can have quite an influence on the game. I've had George Burley before ask me if I could grow the grass longer in the four corners because he was wanting to play a long cross ball to a yeah. winger. So, but but the winger needed to have time to, to catch the ball. And sometimes the ball was played a wee bit far ahead. But he his idea was in that quarter of the field, if the ball ran into a slightly longer leaf, it would slow up, giving the guy a chance to get that. had. Did you do that? I did. <laughs> okay. But but I have to did say, did it work? I don't think it did. <laughs> right. uh, I don't think we we grew it long enough to do that. I've had games where I've gone with Ipswich. Manchester City at the Old Main Road was a classic example. We had them in the Premier League early on. We were playing some sweet football. wet there and the grass was almost three inches long and designed to stop us playing. Birmingham City away in a League Cup semi-final. Uh, we'd won one nil at Portman Road. We should have won five or six nil and, and ultimately missed chances cost us the place in the final. Went to Birmingham, they trained on the pitch on the day. The pitch wasn't great, bumpy, very uneven. Couldn't get a passing game going at all. Uh, very unsporting, uh, and and that and sadly that happens. Graham Souness moved the lines at like for a game against Dynamo Kiev, uh, so where we made the pitch wider, uh, because he'd watched them training in the, day, in the <laughs> days when you could, from, from discreetly, yeah. and they, you know saw that they had this this long cross ball, and suddenly you know bring the pitch in so the ball starts flying out of play. You know, so okay. that, that worked, that, that was really quite effective but I think you know, uh, most of the lead bodies now the Premier League, the Football League, UEFA, FIFA that you can't do these things now as you used to be able to do and there's very set criteria, rightly so because people would take that to extreme I mean recently you saw Tony Pulis moving the lines at Stoke when he was there for Europa League and Premier League I don't think it massively helps they, they believe it does yeah. uh, and ultimately they're the guys who are getting paid the money to 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 bring trophies and to bring success to the clubs as uh, the groundsman you can uh, you can offer advice uh, but you know if your gaffer at the end of the day tells you that's the way you're doing it yeah. that's the way you're doing it and you just got to get on with it whether you think it's right wrong or indifferent you know it, uh, you just have to get on with it
0: so the game's changed a bit yeah. and the other thing that's changed is the quality of the surfaces that yeah oh uh, massively now through your your career yeah. at a high profile level yeah. You you got into it at the time mm. that the money came in from Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must have witnessed, indeed championed a lot of the involvement yeah. and development of, of what's going on at the moment. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest change?
1: I, I think the biggest, the biggest, biggest change in pitch constructions has has been the Grassmaster, and okay. uh, a, a now SIS uh, pitches have come in with an alternative, which is very, very similar, but uh, is is also very, very impressive. But I think the actual construction of the pitches. Uh, without doubt uh, has been the biggest thing I've seen change like huge huge change on the maintenance, on the mechanical side, on the maintenance side I think innovations such as the field top maker I think Campy Imants have been key to that I think that's been one of these bits of kit that comes into our industry uh, that revolutionises a particular aspect of it but but it's had a huge impact Uh, the Vertidrain when it first came in from Holland from Redexham. Uh, and, and look how that's evolved. Everybody now, whether it's a verted or not, talks about verted drains. Sure, you yeah. know, uh, people will talk about Deso Grassmasters, regardless of how many different companies come along, because they were the first one to come in and, and yeah. make that sort of impact on. It's the Hoover on and the, vacuum
0: cleaner kind absolutely,
1: of. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so these these are certainly two the massive changes but I think you know when I look across the industry now and I see the range of equipment we've got a fantastic range of equipment here and the science that goes in eh, behind the preparation of moors for example when you see what the Bernhard company doing why we've added them as a partner you know I was reading the other day they are, they, are eh, they have 75 of the top 100 golf courses in the world their grinders are in it you know they're there for a reason because they bring value and quality yeah. to that operation, to some of the biggest golf courses in, in world golf. They can do the same for football, and they are doing the same for football. You know, Aston Villa have them, Arsenal have them, we have them, PSG has them. You know, that uh, they've got them across the football world. Real have them. So there's a reason these guys have gone down that route as well. Uh, so hopefully golf will shortly be mirrored in football, and, and these will be the types of people that will do that. So these are the biggest changes I've I've certainly seen. The-
0: Your challenge here is somewhat different because, albeit you're not preparing match pitches, you've got the world's press and certainly the English press descending here. And I guess if England don't do well, possibly the training facility may come under scrutiny. You've got a lot more going on here than Mm. the average stadium in terms of the amount of games being played on your pitches. Um, Tie that in together with, you also have to prepare, I believe, different surfaces to match different... Pitches that England do, play, play yeah, on. Yeah, that's that's an almighty kind of jigsaw to try and pull. Well, together. it is, it is, and it's a
1: challenge. It's a challenge I enjoy. Uh, I think when we do get it right, it's it's absolutely fantastic. The uh, the, the preparation of of the surfaces in in, in that media. I uh, I've seen Sky doing interviews, pitch side, watching England team training. You know, and, and I've had people within seconds texting me saying, well done, mate, your pitch looks great. Yeah. You know That's skinny. That's modern technology for you. The internet has opened up the world yeah. massively. Uh, no hiding place. Absolutely no hiding place whatsoever. So yeah, we, we, we do we do have a big, big pressure from that. We were never meant to be a games venue here. But the dynamic of the park has changed in the last 18 months. We are now a games venue. Uh, our planning quite clearly stipulated that we'd be a training venue for 24 England teams. But, you know, business being what it is and the way it's taken off, uh, th- this tournament we've got going here just now, we have 43 seven-a-side games in 12 days being played here, 143 training sessions accompanying that tournament. That's just one tournament, 12 days in our life. So the you know the, the media focus on that has been enormous. It's the biggest disability football tournament yeah. England's ever staged. So you know to, to, to have the privilege to be able to stage that at this venue is is fabulous, but it is a challenge. It's a pressure. We know it's there. Uh, we come out of this into the pre-season. We have uh, Norwich, Crystal Palace, uh, Benfica are coming here. Uh, we we have Burton Albion will be back here. The Nike Academy base here. And we'll have one or two others who will rock up for a couple of days to take care of the medical facilities, or take take advantage of that and use our pitches. We come out of that into Rugby World Cup, we a host venue. One of the pitches will be a host venue for Ireland and Argentina for the 2015 World, Rugby World Cup. You know, it goes on and on. So you're never out of that that media focus. And, and you're right, if it's not right, I will get it in the next.